Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians. I started here last night. And I started teaching on the balance between grace and faith. How many of you were not here last night? Did I see your hand? Wow. Bunches of you. You missed a great message last night. I got really blessed. (laughs) Some people think, well, how dare you say that your own message is good? You know, if it doesn't bless me, I don't know why it should bless you. (laughs) I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. These are things that God has used to change my life. And you know, we do have CDs and DVDs of last night already made. We'll have this morning's duplicate within five minutes after the close of this service. And uh, so I encourage you to please get those because we're talking about things that are timely in the body of Christ right now. You know, in the past, it was seemed like everybody was caught up in legalism and what we had to do. And they were just taking all of the responsibility on themselves and believing that God did everything based on their own performance and their own holiness. And so I used to minister on this to draw people more towards grace. But now we've got people preaching grace, which is wonderful. And there's lots of people being set free by the grace of God. But we've got people that have gone to the other extreme that believe that you don't need to pray. You don't need to study. You don't need to do anything. It's just all up to God. Whatever will be, will be. It's all God. And so now we've got extremes in the body of Christ. And I believe it's more timely than ever to understand that there is a balance between grace and faith. And it's only when you mix these two together in their proper mixture that you get the right results. Grace is what God does. Faith is what we do. And some people will emphasize what we do and forget God. And that leads to bondage, being worn out, burned out. But then there's other people that'll minister grace and forget that we have to respond positively to God's grace. We have to appropriate by faith what God has already provided. And if you do that and don't, don't emphasize that we have a part to play, well, then that leads to lasciviousness. That leads to preaching, all kinds of stuff. I actually heard a guy interviewed one time who was a member of the Church of Satan. And seems like this was in Houston, Texas. I forget exactly, but it was the first church of Satan. And somebody was interviewing him and asking him, how is it that you justify worshiping the devil? And he took scripture and said, the Bible says to love your enemies. And who is your enemy more than the devil? We are supposed to love the devil and ultimately God is going to save the devil and he's going to be in heaven with all the rest of us and we are loving our enemies. And he tried to use scripture to preach the church, first church of Satan. Did you know that there's people doing that? And if you wanted to, and if you only take a truth to the exclusion of all other truths or to an extreme, it becomes an error. And so there is a balance between these. And you know, I could probably spend the rest of my life trying to explain what I'm saying. I know that people are coming from so many different backgrounds. Some of you in here are going to be taking issue with me based on a prejudice or an experience that you've had. Like for instance, when I first got started in faith, I heard people preaching that faith needs to be balanced. And so what they meant was you need to preach equal amounts of unbelief and that that balances your faith. That's not balance. Amen. And so anyway, I just pray that God opens up your heart and that you receive this. Let's look here in Ephesians chapter one. 
In verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, this is just the introduction to this book. And yet he has already said some life changing things if people would get it. But it's amazing how we just read through this and it doesn't mean much to us. But let me just point out, he says in verse three that he hath, if you look this up in the Greek, it's talking about he has already blessed us. Amen. He has already done it with all spiritual blessings, not some, but all. In the Greek, this is really significant. That word in the Greek means all. Amen. (laughs) It means the exclusion of none. Everything you need has already been done. See, that's grace. We've got a Bible school in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and we've got a pastor that has been going to that school for nearly a year now. And that man's uh, actually our director of that school sent me a testimony from this man and he stood up and in tears in front of the class, he got to saying, I've been preaching from the wrong side of the cross. I thought that was a great way of verbalizing this. But did you know that this is what the vast majority of Christianity does? Let's say that this right here is the cross of the Lord. Most people are over here in the Old Testament and they're embracing all of the Old Testament principles. I may teach on this before the weekend is over, but right now I'll just mention it, that in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't paid for our sins. We were not free from the devil. We were not. This is why... So many things in the Old Testament are unacceptable for us today. For instance, in the Old Testament, you had to kill a person who was a homosexual. And you had to kill a child if they sassed their parent. And if you corrected them and if they didn't respond, you brought them to the elders of the city. And if they didn't respond, you had to kill your children if they were in rebellion. That's in the Old Testament. You had to go in and when you conquered a place, you had to kill the men, the women, the children, the babies, and the animals. Some people think, man, this is barbaric. That's in the Bible. Yeah. You know why? Because Jesus hadn't died and paid for the sins of the whole earth. There wasn't a cure for this evil and this wickedness. It had to be cut out similar to the way that we cut out a cancer, cut out an infection in an an attempt to save a person's life. You have to amputate an arm, which is terrible. It's severe. And yet it's better than that person dying of these things. In the Old Testament, people were given over to uh, idolatry, homosexuality, bestiality. Did you know that it was common practice in the land of Canaan, the people that the Israelites conquered to have sex with animals? Not only would they have sex with the animals, but they would let the animals have sex with them. It was common. It was the normal practice of the day. And that's the reason God says, kill a male, female, children, and animals is because those, every time you do something like that, you have demons and you couldn't get delivered of demons in the old Testament. Jesus hadn't set us free from it. And so you had to cut this cancer out. Once a person had given themselves over to these things, man, you just had to kill it. 
rebellion, as it, it says over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I believe it's around verse 20 something. It says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Today, we embrace those things. We even promote it. But you know what? It's re- rebellion is witchcraft. It's demonic. And when you had children that were demonic and if you tried to correct them and if they hardened themselves, it was like a cancer. And, and the scripture actually prescribes cutting those things out. There's harshness and severity under the Old Testament that you aren't supposed to kill your children today. Amen. If we killed every child who was rebellious, many of us wouldn't be here. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Jesus made a difference. But you know what? The majority of the church today is still embracing these Old Testament attitudes and they're praying things like David prayed in Psalms chapter 51, when he repented of his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh God, give me joy. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. We even sing that song. We have a song that says, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We sing that in the church today. David said it. What could be wrong with it? The thing that's wrong with it is that Jesus came and died for us. And now when you get born again, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter seven and eight, that he gives you a new heart. It's wrong for you now after you're a Christian to say, oh God, create a clean heart within me. You have been cleaned through the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's already been done. We're now on this side of the cross and we shouldn't be looking forward to the cross. We ought to be looking back at it. And we ought to be talking about what he's already done for us. And he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's wrong for a Christian to pray that. And some of you think, well, man, I sinned. And I mean, the Holy Spirit left. No, your perception of the Holy Spirit left because you gave yourself over to the devil and he took control of your thoughts and your attention and you begin to experience depression and discouragement and things. But God has never left you. If you're a born again believer, he gave a promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so for you to pray, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me is incorrect. It was appropriate for people on the other side of the cross, but it's not appropriate for us. And I could just go on and on and on talking about it. You need to get your mind renewed. And this is what he's talking about right here. That blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath, past tense, already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, the wording here in the King James, some people think that this is talking about something that isn't a physical reality. It's not real yet. This is just talking about that God has already done it. He's already given you everything, but it's in the spiritual realm. And then like I was talking about last night, you have to, by faith, like a bucket, stick it down in that well and draw these things that have already been given to you in the spiritual realm and in your born again spirit, you have to draw them out through faith. But God, it makes a huge difference to understand that God has already done his part. You aren't trying to get God to do something. You don't have to get God to bless you. I couldn't tell you how many, I don't go into many churches now. Not many churches will have me in. (laughs) 
reason I have to rent an auditorium and pay money is because not a whole bunch of churches have me in. Praise God for solid rock of Atlanta. These people have had me in how many years in a row? Seven years and we're still friends. Most of the churches I go into, I don't get to go back. But anyway, what was I saying when I said that? (laughs) Who knows? Pastor Bobby Ray says, who knows? But oh, when I go into churches, when I used to go into churches, they'd get me into a back room. And they'd say, let's pray. And they'd say, oh, God, come and anoint Andrew. Oh, we pray that your power and your anointing. Oh, God, speak through him. And you know, I just sit there and seethe on the inside. And people think, well, what's wrong with that? I think if you, if you didn't believe I was already anointed, why did you even invite me to your church to speak? You're going to wait until five minutes before I walk out. And now you're going to ask God to anoint me. You know, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter four, verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath, past tense, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. In the New Testament, the anointing of God doesn't come and go. Your perception of it might come and go, but the truth is God has already anointed us. And uh, I think it's second Corinthians chapter one. It says, he that hath anointed us is God. It's already been done. The moment God calls you to do something and it doesn't have to just be preaching. If he calls you to be an administrator, talk to a woman who's a principal of a school, you know, whatever it is that God's called you to do, there's an anointing. When he calls you, he gives you his ability to do it. God would be unjust to call you to do something and then expect you to get it done in your own strength and power. So when God calls you, he also equips you and you're already anointed. So instead of going in and saying, oh God, please anoint me and oh God, please speak through me. You need to say, thank you, Father, that you have already blessed me. Or as uh, Paul put it, I think this is in um, either first or second Timothy. He says, thank God who counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Did you know when God calls you to do something, he believes that you through his power can do it. He counted you faithful. God had faith in me. I didn't have any faith in me, but God had faith in me and put me in the ministry, believing that I could do what he called me to do. And you know what? He's already done that. And so instead of me begging and pleading, oh God, please anoint me. It's so much better to thank God that I'm already anointed and remind yourself that God, thank you that you've already called me and anointed me. Thank you that I'm already blessed. You know, if this over here or this side of the stage is where I'm wanting to go, if it's healing, if it's prosperity, if it's joy or whatever, and I say in the name of Jesus, I believe I'm going to get there. Did you know that that has an element of doubt in it? Because you're acknowledging I'm not there. And if you aren't there, you may not get there. You know, it may look like it'd be pretty easy for me to walk to the other side of the stage, but somebody could run up here and tackle me. I could trip. Something could happen. There are ways that I could not get there. But guess what? If I'm already here, there's no way that I won't get where I already am. (laughs) If I started saying, Father, thank you that by your stripes I was healed. It's not a matter of I believe I can be healed, but I, I was healed. I'm already healed. 
I'm not waiting on God to heal me. God has already healed me and I've got it. It's mine. When you get that attitude, it changes everything. Can you understand what I'm saying? God by grace has already done everything. And when you start getting this attitude that I'm already blessed, it changes the way that you pray. This is the reason I was saying that some people say, how do I pray now? Because their whole prayer life was asking God to do something. And once you understand God's already done it, well, then what's left to pray? How do you pray? That's a really good question. You know, let me use an example that when I first got started in the ministry, I had been in Vietnam and the Bible that I had was mildewed. It smelled terrible. I had marked in it so much that I had taped it together and you couldn't write in it anymore. I couldn't even read it. It had gotten wet and mildewed and the ink was running and it was just, it was a mess. And so anyway, entire books of the Bible were gone. They had literally fallen out of my Bible. And so here I was the pastor of a church and I didn't even have a whole Bible. That's one of the reasons I can quote so much scripture because I'd say, well, let's turn over and it wasn't there. And so I'd just quote it. (laughs) And here I was pastoring this little church and I didn't even have a whole Bible. And I thought, you know what? Somewhere I just got to draw a line in the sand and I got to see something happen. And so I just made it a live or die, sink or swim issue that I was going to believe God for enough money to get a Bible. And some of you think that you could have gotten a Bible. You know, when you're talking about being poor, you may have $2,000 a month income, but you've just got $2,100 a month worth of expenses, but you've got money and you could go out and spend $20 on a Bible. But Jamie and I, the first year that we were married, our total income for a year was $1,253 and we had $100 a month rent. How do you live? I don't know, but that's the situation we were in. When I say that we didn't have any money, we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. We would go weeks without eating. And here I was pastoring this little church. I wasn't taking any salary from the church and we were poor and I needed a Bible. And I just determined I was going to believe God for an extra 20 or $25 so I could go get a Bible. And I just started believing God and saying, if I, if I can't believe for a Bible, what kind of minister am I? So I just started believing God for that money. And it took me about six months to come up with $20 extra that I could go buy a Bible. And during that period of time, I struggled. Satan was beating me over the head. Some man of God you are. How are you ever going to see anybody set free if you can't even get $20 to go buy a Bible? And I mean, he just was beating my head in with this. But eventually I got that money. I went and bought a Bible. I had my name engraved on it. I walked out of the Bible store with my Bible under my arm. And guess what? As soon as I got it and I had it and I knew that I had it, I quit doubting that I'd get it. Some of you are thinking, well, of course. Why would you doubt that you'd get it if you've already got it? That's the point that I'm making. You know why you say in the name of Jesus, I'm healed. And then you say, man, I want, I think I'm going to die. And you wonder if you're ever going to get it. It's because you don't believe you've got it. You're just going through the motions and you're confessing that you've got it, but you don't believe that it's really been done. If you believed it, 
then there is a rest and there's a peace in believing that I've got it. I know it's not evident in my body yet, but I've got it. It's not out there somewhere. I don't have it. Boy, this, this answers so many questions. If you could understand what I'm talking about, we've got this spiritual warfare stuff where we got to bind all of the demons over Atlanta so that our prayers can get through to God. That is so silly. Somebody, wow. In the book of Daniel chapter 10, that's the way it was. The prince of Persia withstood Daniel's prayers for 21 days. The difference is he was on this side of the cross. It says in Isaiah chapter 64, I believe it is, rend the heavens and come down. People pray that, oh God, rend the heavens and come down. Pour out your Holy Spirit. What they're missing is that God rent the heavens and came down through Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, you don't need to get your prayers past the demonic powers over Atlanta and clear a hole in the atmosphere so that your prayers can get up to God. You don't need your prayers to get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. God's here. He lives on the inside of us. This is why you bow your head when you pray. So you can say, Father. Amen. Some of us look like we got more of God than others, but it's not true. (laughs) But see, some of these stupid doctrines that we have, it comes because people don't believe that God has already done it. They believe that God exists, but they still have an Old Testament mentality that they got to get past the demons and they got to beg God for this. You've already been blessed. God already lives on the inside of you. You have to release what God has done, not get what God has done. It's like, instead of me trying, I'm going to get over there. I am going to get there. No, I'm already here. And you know what? If I know that I've got it, I'm not going to quit until I see the manifestation. I know that there's some way to make this happen. And even an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And you know what, once you know that I'm healed, I don't understand why I haven't seen it manifest, but God has already healed me. He put this same power on the inside of me that raised Christ from the dead. And I'm not moving off of that. By his stripes, I was healed. And I'm going to keep trying every connection that there is. And eventually I'm going to see this power flow because I know I've already got it. I don't know if you, if you get what I'm saying. But it made a huge difference in my life. When I quit believing that God could heal, he hadn't done it, but he could do it. And I was going to keep asking and praying. That just put such a burden and such a weight on me. It changed everything when I understood that, Father, you've already done it. And I've already got it. I'm already blessed with it. I don't know why I haven't seen it manifest, but I know I've got it. I know I've got it and I am not quitting. It just encourages you. It builds you up. When you know that God has already done it, that God isn't holding back on you. You know, it's like if somebody told you that you had a million dollars buried in your backyard, it'd be great to have a big old backhoe or some kind of a huge machine so that you could just dig that thing up quick. But if you really believed that it was there, if all you had was a toothpick or a spoon, you could get it. (laughs) If you really believed it was there, you could get it with the spoon. It might take more effort. I may not know everything I'm supposed to know, but if I know that I've got it, I will get it. If I know that I've got it, if I know that it's on the inside of me, I won't quit. 
And Jamie and I, we saw this way back in the beginning. And I remember there was this woman in our church in Seagaville, Texas. And this, well, she wasn't actually in our church, but she was uh, in the community. And I ministered to her a lot and did some work for her. And anyway, this woman was blind. And I didn't know, I had never heard of Copenhagen. Copeland and Hagen. I hadn't, I didn't know that they exist. I'd never heard any faith teaching. I didn't know about anything. Did you know when we started seeing people healed, I didn't know that there had been a person healed in the last 2000 years. I'd never heard a testimony of a person being healed. I was told in the Baptist church that these things passed away with the apostles. And I didn't know that anybody had ever been healed, but I was reading in the Bible that these signs would follow them that believe. And I began to believe that it was done. And even though I didn't know how to get there, I didn't know anything about your confession. I didn't know about laying hands on people. I didn't understand anything. I just saw that it could happen. And I believe that God had given us that power. And you know what? I started praying for everything that moved. And I was working for this lady and she was blind and I prayed over her and God opened up her eyes and she was healed. And we started seeing miracles happen before I knew that there had been another person in the last 2000 years that had seen a miracle happen. And you know how it happened? It just happened because I knew somehow, some way that this could be done. I didn't have a clue. I hadn't heard any teaching on it, but I just, you pray for enough people, you're going to see something happen. You know, I pray for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I see, I don't see every single person healed, but I see lots of people healed. I see more healings than most people do because I pray for more people than most people do. I just know that God has done it. I still don't understand everything. I was with Oral Roberts just a a month or two before he died. And somebody asked Oral Roberts the question, does it bother you about people that you pray for that don't get healed? And the guy nearly came to tears. And says, that was such a hard thing. He says, I wanted to quit so many times because of the people who didn't receive. And he said, I prayed about it and asked the Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, don't worry about the ones don't receive. Says, if you see one person healed, that's one more person healed than there would have been. He says, you just minister to the ones who do receive. And you know what? That's the way that you've got to be. I still don't understand everything. I, I believe that there's a lot that I need to learn. But praise God, I'm seeing a lot of things happen. And and this is, it's all because I got stuck on this verse, but we've already been blessed. I know God has already done it. I know that the power of God is on the inside of me and I'm learning as quickly as I can. I'm renewing my mind, but man, I know that God has already given it to me. I can do anything that God calls me to do. That's what I believe. I haven't seen everything God called me to do come to pass yet, but I believe I've got the capacity and I'm not quitting. See, people who believe it could happen, but they pray, then they get discouraged and think, well, for whatever reason, God chose not to answer my prayer just because you didn't see anything happen. That has nothing to do with whether or not God answers your prayer. That has a lot to do with whether you understand how to receive. It has nothing to do with God's giving. It has to do with your receiving. Anyway, let me just continue to read some verses here. In verse four, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will. Boy, there's some powerful things in these verses. It's God's good pleasure to adopt us. Man, that's powerful. There's, I'm trying to get on to some other things, but those are great verses. In verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Did you know that the Greek word that is used here for made us accepted is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's over in Luke chapter one, when it says that the angel came in and said, hail thou that art highly favored among women. The Lord is with you. Talking to Mary. This is what this word means. When it says we're accepted, that doesn't mean we're just tolerated. God has made you accepted. You are highly favored. You are blessed above all other people on the face of the earth that through Jesus, you have been grafted in. You are adopted. You are a joint heir with Jesus. Radical statement. In verse seven, in whom we have redemption. You know, if I had time, you could go through the book of Ephesians and it, one of the unique things about the book of Ephesians, it's not talking about in whom we could have might have, will have, if you pray enough redemption. Everything is written from the past tense. It's talking about what we already have in Christ. And most people don't think this way, but it says in whom we have already have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? It goes on to say the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, God by grace. This is what I was talking about last night, independent of you, provided redemption, forgiveness of sins. It's already done. You know, I don't have time to teach on this today. Maybe tomorrow I might mention this, but let me just put out a tease that most of the body of Christ believes you're forgiven of sins up until the point that you get born again, your sins are forgiven. And then every time you sin, you got to get that sin under the blood and you got to get re-forgiven. If you believe that, then the only way for you to make it is for me to just kill you the moment you get born again. (laughs) Because I can guarantee you, you can't keep every single sin confessed. Sin isn't only what you do that is a transgression of the law. It says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. I think that's Romans 14, 23. And so sin is what you should be doing, that you're failing to do. Every one of us fails to love our wife as Christ loved the church. Every one of you fails to reverence your husband the way that you should. Every one of you fails to intercede, to pray, to study the word, to love other people, to think about other people. It says in uh, Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And it says, we're supposed to think more highly of other people than we think of ourselves. Most of us don't even think of other people. We just think of ourselves. We fail all of the time. And if you had to have every sin confessed or you die and go to hell, I'd be doing you a service to kill you the moment you get born again. I might go to hell, but that's the only way you'd ever make it to heaven (laughs) is just to have somebody kill you. So we're taught that, no, you got to get every sin under the blood and all of this. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He has already forgiven the sins of the whole world. And then you put that with Hebrews chapter nine, verses 12 and 14 and 15 and Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. And I'll may teach on this tomorrow. 
all of your sins, past, present, and future sins, even the ones you haven't committed have already been dealt with. We already have redemption. That is the forgiveness of our sins. You do not, the burden of salvation is not on you confessing and keeping everything confessed. That is one radical truth. Every word in here is just diametrically opposed to most of Christianity today. Most of Christianity is living on the other side of the cross where you did have to have every sin confessed. And it makes that point in Hebrews chapter nine and chapter 10 that the priest had to go in and offer sacrifices over and over and over, which never took away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. He is not in heaven continually reapplying his blood and making new sacrifice. He is not like the Old Testament priest. He has done it once and for all. We already have redemption. It's over. Now, are you going to receive it by faith and benefit from it? Or are you going to keep begging God? Are you going to live under the condemnation of every time you sin? Are you going to feel like you've lost your right standing with God? Man, these are powerful statements. In verse 9, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. People are always asking God and pleading with God to show them things. The truth is in your born again spirit man, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says that you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Colossians chapter three, verse 10 says, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. You can put all these things together and you know what? You don't need God to give you wisdom. What you've got to do is draw out the wisdom that has already been placed on the inside of you. You have the mind of Christ. And I could spend an hour teaching on this, but I'll just say it real quickly that when you pray in tongues, you are praying the hidden wisdom of God. First Corinthians chapter 14. So if you need wisdom, you've already got it on the inside of you. How do you get it out of your spirit and into your brain? You pray in tongues. And when you pray in tongues, you're praying the hidden wisdom of God. And this wisdom starts flowing through you and your understanding becomes, un, becomes fruitful and you get revelation. Praying in tongues is one of the most important things you can do to release the supernatural ability that's on the inside of you. Man, we had, I don't know, over a hundred people last night come forward and receive baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. It's powerful. It's powerful. But it changes everything. Instead of, oh God, further along we'll understand more. Further along we'll know why. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim, a plodding through the world below. Oh God, we don't know anything. And you just embrace all of this lack and inadequacy and think, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking. (laughs) You sing songs like that, they'll kill you. It's okay for you to say, well, in my little peanut brain up here, I don't know the answer, but in Christ, I've got the mind of Christ. I've got the same knowledge that Jesus has. And I'm going to pray in tongues because the Bible says when I pray in tongues, it's my spirit praying. It's praying the hidden wisdom of God. And so I'm going to start speaking this hidden wisdom of God out of my mouth and ask for interpretation. 
That's a different approach than just saying, well, further along, we'll know all about it. Amen or oh me. In verse, um, where was I? That was verse eight, I think. And in verse nine, it says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in, uh, in himself. Notice it says, having made known unto us. If you look this up in the Greek, it's all in the past tense. He's already revealed his will unto you. And somebody says, well, I don't know his will. Your spirit does. And all you got to do is cooperate, get in the spirit, study the word, pray in tongues, let the Holy Spirit bring things to your remembrance You've already got the wisdom of God on the inside. Just allow it to flow. You don't have to beg God to give it, but instead you release it. It is so much easier to release something that you believe you have than it is to go get something that you don't have. It's a huge difference. And he says in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Again, it's in the past tense. We have already obtained it. People think when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. You know, what's going to make heaven so great is the fact that you will get rid of our limited knowledge We'll know all things, even as also we are known. But the truth is that right now in your spirit, you are identical to the way you will be a million years from now. Your spirit is already perfect and complete. It's already got the mind of Christ. And the only thing that's going to happen in heaven is that we now get rid of this little peanut brain that limited and we will know all things. But you've already got all of this power on the inside of you. And see, this is what he's talking about, that we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own, own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Man, that is one powerful verse right there. I hadn't got time to teach on that right now, but it's already been done. You're sealed with the Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is this talking about? It's all of these things. You've already got it. You're already blessed. You're already accepted in the beloved. You already have redemption, which is the forgiveness of your sins. You already have wisdom. You already have been adopted. You already have an inheritance. You're already sealed. And we're waiting for the redemption of the purchased possession. God in your spirit has already done everything. Your spirit is identical to Jesus right now, not in heaven, but right now. If you've been born again, you are as Jesus is in this world. First John chapter four, verse 17. You're already that way, but this physical body hasn't been changed. If you were a man before you got saved, you're going to be a man after you get saved. If you were a woman, you're going to still be a woman. If you were fat, you're going to still be fat. 
Your body doesn't change, but it's been purchased and you're going to get a glorified body. Your soul isn't the part of you that changed. If you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. Your soul doesn't just instantly change. Now you can renew it and change it, but it doesn't instantly change. Your old bad thoughts don't just instantly pass away. You'll still remember. You'll still have a history. Those things are still true, but they've been purchased. Your body and your soul have been purchased. But your spirit is the only part that's redeemed. When it says that we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, that's not true in your physical body. It's not true in your soul, but your spirit is redeemed. You know, when I was a kid, some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but when I was a kid, they had S&H green stamps. And my mother would go to the store and she'd get S&H green stamps and she would give them to me and you'd have to paste them in these books and then you'd go to an S&H green stamp redemption center. And I would take those books in and I mean, they had furniture, they had lamps, they had toys, they had nearly anything. It was like a department store and you could cash in those books of stamps And it was called a redemption center. You could redeem those stamps for something. You didn't want the stamps. The only reason you liked the stamps is because they could be redeemed. You wanted what they were redeemed for, not the stamps. But the stamps were a proof that you had purchased something. You had to have a proof of purchase, which were those stamps, and then you went and got them redeemed. Our body and our soul are not redeemed yet, but they've been purchased. And we have an earnest, a proof that they have been purchased. That is the Holy Spirit. Your spirit has already been redeemed. It's been cashed in. You don't have an old spirit anymore. You got a new spirit. You are brand new in your spirit. Your little spirit is perfect. But your body and your soul aren't perfect They've been purchased, but they haven't been redeemed. And we are waiting for the redemption of this purchase possession. The scripture says that this mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put on incorruption. That hasn't happened yet. I still have a body that's imperfect. I still have a mind and emotions that are imperfect, but my spirit is perfect. And I am waiting on the time that my body and soul are redeemed. That's what this is talking about. Man, these are powerful truths. And then it says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after that I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now let me just point this out. If you were praying for someone that would read your prayer 2,000 years in the future, how would you pray for them? Just based on prayers that I hear as I travel, here's how the average person would pray. Is, oh God, just touch them. God, move in their life. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Rend the heavens and come down. Send revival. God, do a new thing. Something along those lines. It would be pleading with God to touch those people. Paul's prayer is exactly the opposite. He's just giving thanks to God for what he's already done. And then he prays that God would open up their eyes, our eyes to what has already been done. Paul wasn't praying and asking God to move. He was asking God to open up their eyes to what had already been done. 
This is what the body of Christ needs today. They don't need another conference on how to get God to move. God's already moved. They need a conference talking about who they are in Christ and what Jesus has already done. Instead of heading towards victory, they ought to talk about coming from victory and talk about what's already been accomplished. Man, that is a powerful statement. So read Paul's prayer with that in mind. Here it says in verse uh, 16, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, if you go back and put this in balance with, I think it's verse seven, it says he's already abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. So this wisdom's already here. He's just praying that this wisdom that has already been given to every believer, that we would receive it, that we would uh, submit to it and we would get this revelation. In verse 18, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Most people, when they talk about the glory of God, they picture the throne and they picture the rainbow round about the throne and the 24 elders and the four living creatures and multitudes of angels praising him and doing, and they picture all of these things in heaven. But the Bible says the riches of his glory is in the saints. You know what you have on the inside of you, if you somehow or another lost it, and if God had to replace what you have on the inside of you, it would bankrupt heaven. You've got the glory of his inheritance in you. You've got the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily. It's not out there somewhere. It's in you. And I know some of you are thinking, it's not me. I've looked. You can't see into the spirit realm. All you can do is search your body and then your soul, your mental, emotional realm. But I'm telling you, there's a third part of you that you don't even know about. You have the fullness of the Godhead in you. The riches of the glory of his grace is on the inside of you. That's awesome. I'll probably talk about that tomorrow. You need to come back. And then it goes on to say in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's praying that you would see the exceeding riches of his greatness. And then it says in verse 19, and that you would see the, the greatness of his power towards us, the same power that he used when he raised Christ from the dead. This isn't something that's out there that is obtainable. And if you will fast enough and pray enough and do enough, God might release it. It's already on the inside of you. Every born again person has the exact same power, the quantity and quality of power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead. It's already in you. 
And yet how many Christians approach their problem as if they have no ability? They come to me and they ask for prayer and they make themselves just as pitiful as they possibly can. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. The doctor says this. I'm so, and they just make it so pitiful, hoping that you'll be moved with compassion to do something. And they want me to agree with them. And I tell them, I'm not going to agree with you. Your opinion of you stinks. You think you have no power. You think cancer is big. Cancer's not pig. Somebody, well, yes, it is. That's because you've been looking at it as a mere human being. You've been listening to the news. You've been listening to people who don't know God. And to you, cancer's a big deal. AIDS is a big deal. Sugar diabetes, something that the world calls incurable, that's a big deal. And to you, you're overwhelmed with it. To God, it's nothing. It is less than nothing. It doesn't take any more power of God to heal cancer than it takes to heal a cold. Cancer is not a big deal. It's no big deal. It's not a problem. The power that's on the inside of you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You know, if you wanted to measure things, if somehow or another we could hook one of these VU meters up and show the power of God when he created the heavens and the universe, that was powerful. But you know what? Raising Jesus from the dead would peg that thing. It would make it go over to the extreme. That was the greatest demonstration of God's power that the universe has ever seen. Because see, when he created the heavens and the earth, there was no opposition. He didn't have any opposing forces. But when he raised Jesus from the dead, all of hell, every demon was there trying to stop Jesus to come back alive because everything hinged on him. The entire force of the devil was against that. And yet Jesus triumphed over them. It was no big deal. Whatever demon is bothering you was there on resurrection morning, trying to hold back the resurrection of Jesus and he couldn't do it. And you have that same power on the inside of you. Every cancer spirit, Every demonic sickness and disease, every demon of every kind, oppression, depression, any kind of demon that has ever existed, any vile thing, it was all there. You know, the church that I go to, they put on a big old Easter pageant. And in this Easter pageant, they have a person dressed up as the devil. And he's present when the scribes and the Pharisees are mocking Jesus. And he's always in the crowd. And it's really a great way of showing that even though it was people doing this, it was inspired by the devil. And so it it really is effective in this play. And at the resurrection, they have the tomb there. They have this huge stone over it. And this person who was playing Satan is standing there against the tomb and he's pushing with all of his might against that stone. And then they have this big explosion and a puff of smoke. And when the smoke clears, The devil is underneath the tombstone. The stone is on top of him and Jesus is standing on top of the stone. (laughs) That's a great way of picturing that Satan and everything he had was trying to stop Jesus. And yet God's power raised Jesus from the dead. And this verse says you have that raising from the dead power on the inside of you. Every one of you do. Many of you are saying, no, I don't. Yes, you do. 
You have it. You may not believe it, but you've got it. When you get to heaven, you're going to be shocked to find out that you let the devil bother you. You put up with stuff. I've had people come up in the lines here and say, I've got four or five things wrong with me, but just one of them is really bad. If I could just get that one. <laughs> you know why, what you're saying? You think that, man, God's power is limited. He may not have enough power to heal all of them. If we prayed for all five things at one time, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure that God can pull that off, but if he could just do this one thing, then I'd be okay. Man, you don't understand that you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You have raising from the dead power. You do not have to go around living a defeated life and settling for less. Most of us are so focused on what we don't have in the natural realm that we don't know what we do have in Christ Jesus. And the people who believe that God does miracles today, they still believe it's out there and that they've got to do something to call it down, to cover the ground in between it. And because of it, they get discouraged along the way and quit along the way. I tell you, it changes your life if you understand that you've already got it. God's already placed it on the inside of you and you just... Pray, God, open up my eyes. If you want to take this prayer in Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 through the end of the chapter and just put your name in it. Say, Father, I'm praying for Andrew that you would open up my eyes to help me see what is the hope of your calling and the greatness, the exceeding riches of your glory that's in me. Help me to see that I have the exceeding greatness of your power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now living in me. The same power that exalted him in heaven. And he's above every name that is named. And I'm a part of his body. If I'm only the toenail, if I'm the lowest part of his body, Satan is under my feet. I'm above him. Amen. If you want to write the devil a message, write it on the bottom of your shoe because you're above him. Amen. (laughs) You get that attitude and I guarantee you, you'll start seeing some victory. You'll start seeing some answers to prayer. You'll start seeing things manifest because you've already got it. It's just a matter of you believing that you've already got it. And then once you understand what God has given you by grace and you quit asking God to do what he's already done, Now you just mix it with faith. Take your authority and speak. And you may say the same words, but the difference is you aren't any longer waiting on God to respond to your words, but you're speaking these things in response to what you believe Jesus has already done. There's a difference in saying, by his stripes, I was healed. And saying that, hoping that God will heal you. Because if you confess it enough, then God will do it. But then once you understand that you've already got it and you say, by his stripes, I was healed. The power of God flows. It all depends if you're doing this in order to get God to do something or if you're speaking the truth because you believe you've already got it and now you're releasing it. Huge difference. Huge difference. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the things I'm saying right here are as rare as hen's teeth in the body of Christ. You don't hear very many people talking this way. And that's exactly the reason that you don't see a lot of things come to pass. Boy, it'll change your life. If you could understand what I've talked about today. Awesome. 
Father, I just pray for every person in here and I'm asking you that you would give us ears to hear. We believe that in our spirit, man, you've already done all of this. Help our minds and our hearts to understand. We pray this prayer that I was reading today that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come unto us and show us what we have in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that it already indwells every one of us. Thank you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I just welcome you. I I invite you to come and make this a revelation to people that it would change the way we pray, that we would understand what we already have. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive this. Thank you for the change it's going to make in people's lives. Thank you, Father. We agree and receive it. Amen. Let me ask today, if you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. Everything I've said today was to people who've already made Jesus their Lord. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't have all of this in your spirit. You've got a dead spirit separated from God. And you have no power on the inside of you. You don't have all of these things, but it's real simple to receive. Jesus has already provided your forgiveness He wants to give this to you and all you got to do is reach out and receive it. So if you haven't been born again today, today you could be born again because God has already provided everything. It's not a matter of will he save you. He's already forgiven you. Will you receive it? That's what causes salvation to come to pass. And once you get born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And you know, I had some people come up this morning and say, I don't speak in tongues, but I know I've got the Holy Spirit. I believe that's possible. It happened to me. I prayed for the Holy Spirit and I received, and I mean, my life was transformed, but it was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist and I'd been told that this stuff was of the devil and I just wouldn't submit to it. The Lord's not going to force you to speak in tongues. If you're praying and saying, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. You'll never speak in tongues. He will not force you to speak in tongues. It doesn't come that way. You have to pursue it. And I said, you must receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to receive the Holy Spirit in order to go to heaven, but you have to receive the Holy Spirit in order to get this revelation knowledge to get this uh, power working on the inside of you. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You can still go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power. You'll die of something along the way. You can still go to heaven, but why? You can buy a pair of pants that only has one leg in it, but why? What's the point? You could go through life without all of the benefits of Christianity, but why? Why would you not want the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm testifying to you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, changed my life. I talked to some people this morning that came last year and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they have never been the same. They were just crying, talking about how it transformed their life. There are some of you that know there's something more than what you've been experiencing. And I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the way to receive it. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Somebody says, well, that's not what they teach in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. But that's what I'm teaching. That's what the Word of God teaches. How many of you in here have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues? Would you recommend it? You know what? If you didn't raise your hand, you need to receive this. Is there anybody in here who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to commit my life to the Lord and be born again, or I need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Yep, we still got people here this morning. Anybody else? There's people over here. That's awesome. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just come right down here and let me pray with you? I want to help you to receive today. Just get up out of your seat and come forward. And we're going to pray with you and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Last night, I don't even know how many we had. Does anybody know how many? Oh, I thought there was over a hundred. There was a slew of people down here. But praise God, 72 people came last night and received. Awesome. Awesome. Before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you have to be born again. The Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely certain that you've done that, that Jesus lives on the inside of you and you need to pray first to receive Jesus as your Savior? Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anyone? Here's one down here. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith. You just got to be sure. And there's a lot of people that are just hoping. The Bible says that when you get born again, you know that you've passed from death unto life. It makes a difference in you. Is there anybody else who wants to pray this prayer with me first and make sure that you're born again? You want to be sure. That's a smart thing to do. Anybody else besides these two ladies? All right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. Jesus has already done everything. You just have to speak forth your commitment to Jesus as your Lord. And when it says make Jesus your Lord, that's more than just mouthing the words. You have to really make a commitment and say, I'm turning my life over to you. Are you all willing to do that? Amen. All right, well, all I'm going to do is lead you in a prayer similar to this, and I'd like you to repeat it after me. I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this with me so that these won't feel like we're just listening to them. And as, as you say this, if you mean it from your heart and believe it, you'll be born again. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you are alive. And that you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. In the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. You believe that? Welcome to the family. That's awesome. 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 Do you believe that, sister? Amen. Welcome to the family. I believe you're changed. Awesome. All right. So now every person down here has prayed that prayer. And according to the scripture, it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't wonder, will he give me the Holy Spirit? This is what you were made for. Amen. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit. There are some people that teach that you got to get rid of all sin in your life before you can receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit won't fill a dirty vessel. God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got problems in your life, you're a prime candidate for God giving his power so that you can start overcoming these things. So don't let any sense of unworthiness or something hold you back. We're just going to pray a real simple prayer and in a sense, open up the doors of this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. He won't force himself. He has to be invited. So we're just going to say, we want you to control our life. We want you to take control. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to quit asking God for the Holy Spirit. And I want you to thank him that he gave you the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you feel like. Sometimes people have an overwhelming feeling. Sometimes they feel nothing. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I believed. And so regardless of what you feel like, I want you, after they lay hands on you, to quit asking and just start thanking God out loud and saying, thank you, Father, I believe I received the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues, are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you give thanks unto God. So you're thanking God. It's your spirit, not your brain, but it's your spirit praying and you're thanking God. So we're going to start thanking God in this language that God has given us. And when we start doing that, I want you to quit praying in English and start speaking in tongues. Amen. Some of you are looking at me like a deer in headlights, like... How do you speak in tongues? I've got a book I'm going to give you and it'll explain the whole thing. But here's, here's to me, the most important issue is that people think that the Holy Spirit is going to take your mouth and make you speak. That's not how it works. People are just, they just open their mouth and wait on God to take it. It's very similar to when I taught this morning. I believe that God spoke through me. I believe he inspired what I said, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. It was me talking. That's why it came out in Texan. I spoke. I thought of these things. But you know what? I believe God inspired it. I believe that God was behind what I'm saying. And that's what the Bible says happens, that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. God doesn't force you. He just inspires you. And you have to speak. You have to make noise. And believe that it's the Holy Spirit. And once you get over the newness of it and quit listening to yourself, you'll find out it just flows out of you. And it's really, it is you, but it's you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God will confirm it to you. And this will prove 
to be one of the most awesome things that has ever happened in your life. It's just, it's powerful. So that's what we're going to do. Everybody understand? That was a question. Do you understand? Okay, so we're going to pray. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Amen. Father, I thank you. Thank you for all of these people. Thank you for these two ladies who prayed today to make you their Lord. We believe that every one of us are the temple now of the Holy Spirit, that we were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of these temples and the Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives. We want your power. We want your ability in our life. And so right now we open our heart. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with your power. We lay hands on you in Jesus name and we release the power of the Holy Spirit to flow into you right now. Holy Spirit, we just release this power to flow into their bodies right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to start thanking God that he did what he promised he'd do. Put your hands up. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. Just start thanking him right now. Bless him. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. Start speaking in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. If you don't know what to say, You could try and say what you hear a person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It'll come out different. You won't be able to say the same thing that somebody else says. But once you start talking, don't quit. Just keep talking. You're bypassing your brain and all of the doubt that's in your mind, all of the confusion that's in your mind. You bypass all of that and you're praying out of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You can't pray in English and tongues at the same time. So you got to quit speaking in English and you got to speak in a language that you don't know. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I can't hear every one of them, but it I, it looks like every person down here is speaking in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. I'm not speaking in tongues right now, but I have the Holy Spirit. And when I first prayed for this, I didn't speak in tongues immediately because I'd been told it was of the devil and I had so much questions and fear about it. But you know, I just kept after it. I finally got all of my questions answered and now I speak in tongues a lot. 
And I promise you, whether you spoke in tongues or not, God gave you the Holy Spirit and all you've got to do is renew your mind and begin to start cooperating and this power will flow through. This is more powerful than what any of you understand. I can promise you that. There's not a person down here that fully understands what happened, but you just gained access to the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now you've got to fully understand what has happened to you. And so I want to give every one of you a book because this could be the second most important thing that's ever happened in your life, but you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. So if you would, we've got Robert right here in the aisle. He's got his Bible up in the air. And if you would just follow him, we got a room right adjacent here and they've got books in there. And we want to give every one of you a book. There's people that will pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll help you. So if you would, just follow Robert. It'll only take a moment and we want to help you to receive. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was just given a note for you not to leave personal items here because we're going to have the graduation today and they're going to be moving some chairs and people are going to be sitting in them and you may not have your stuff here. So don't leave anything in your seat when you leave today. These are our prayer ministers. And these people are here to pray with you. Many of them are Bible college students. All of them have been through a training with Ashley and Carly, and they know how to pray as if God has already done his part. And all we're doing is receiving. We aren't going to be begging God to do something. We're going to be praying and just receiving what God has already done. So if any of you need prayer, if you would just come down here right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. We've got people standing at the aisles that will direct you towards a prayer minister. Please cooperate with them. Remember, we have a graduation today at, what time was it? 2.30. 2.30 today is our graduation. We have services tonight at 7 and then tomorrow, 10 o'clock in the morning and then 6 o'clock p.m. tomorrow night. We start an hour early so that my staff can get everything put up and into bed before 2 or 3 in the morning. So please cooperate with that. If you need prayer, come forward right now and receive prayer. And we'll be glad to agree with you. Also remember that we have CDs and DVDs of last night and today already duplicated. They're out there. So please take advantage of them. God bless you. Thank you for coming. If you need prayer, just come forward. We still have some prayer ministers here that aren't praying with anyone. So we would love to pray and agree with you. You're dismissed.